Good afternoon, church. My name is Mike Park, and I'm one of the pastors at Hope Westside. It's good to be with you here. Um, you know, I told first service that I hope Midtown has a special place in my heart because about nine years ago, um, there was a, a launch team for Hope Midtown. hadn't started yet. And Pastor Drew, who is one of my close friends, um, took a group, went with a group out to California, part of that launch team. And he sh- shot me a text. I was living there at the time and said, hey, I think you should meet this girl. She's part of our church. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. She said, just be open, okay? Have coffee. So we had coffee in Pasadena on June 30th, 2014. And you know why I remember that date. Because six months later, we're engaged. And a few months later, we're... Oh, was that a surprise that that was coming? <laughs> and, and a few months later, we were married. Uh, a few months, uh, just a little bit while after that. Um, I moved to New York, uh, joined staff here at Hope Midtown. Shortly after that, we launched with a group of people to the Upper West Side to launch um, to start Hope West Side. So this is all to say that Hope Midtown has a special place in my heart and a special place in my family. We've been married almost eight years now. We have two little girls, Jordan, who is six, and Sophie, who is four. Uh, Jordan's in kindergarten, and Sophie is in preschool. And I think a lot about them. I learned so much from them and seeing them grow. And, and as I've thought about them, I thought about the series that we're in. We've been in a series called School of Prayer. Where in this new year, we we're asking God, God, can you teach us how to pray? And Jesus especially, can you show us how you pray so that we can grow in our prayer life as well? As I've been thinking about it over these past several weeks, um, I almost want to rename this series, and, and I want to say for our message today, like the preschool of prayer. Because here's what I realize. When you get older, when you get to our age, when you think about school, often what do you think of? Studying grades, achievement, advancing, getting to the next level. And and that's often the way we relate to school. Some of us did really well in school, and we loved it. Some of us didn't enjoy school. We got forced to go. And you see it almost as a necessary evil. Here's the thing. For my girls, they love school. They love school. And and I love that they love school because this is what I want for them. I don't want them to to try to get good grades. I don't want them to try to achieve or be better than everyone else. I want them to love learning how to learn. I want them to go to school and enjoy being with other people in that space. I want them to make mistakes and get messy, learn new things, because everything is new when you're in preschool. And, and that's what I love, and that's, that, that's the space that we want to invite them to. And some of us might say, well, when they get older when they get into elementary school and and high school and into college, then they'll learn that school is about all those other things that we deem to be so important. And I want to tell you, as a parent of these two little girls, I hope that they never do. I hope they never do. I hope for the rest of their life that that they love learning how to learn. I hope that they love learning how to make mistakes. I love that they love being in a space where they're more valued and care more about who they are than how they perform. Don't you want that for my little girls as well? Like, can we be on the same team here? And I think that's what the Lord wants for us. He wants us in prayer not to do it better, not to get it right, not to make sure that we are like, you know, marking all, you know, checking off all the things and getting A's and succeeding and being better than we were last year. What if he just simply wants us to enjoy, enjoy being with him? What if the the preschool of prayer is loving prayer because we love God? Loving prayer because it gets us to God who loves us. And it gets messy and we don't always do it right. 
Um, our friend Rich Velotis, he says in his book, Deep, Deeply Formed Life, he quotes Thomas Keating. He says, if you, um, in prayer, if your mind wanders 10,000 times, those are 10,000 opportunities to return back to God. You can't mess it up. You can't fail. You can't get a bad grade. Just learn how to, just, just love learning how to pray. Love learning how to be with God. When we look at this passage in James, it's interesting because it's almost like, you know, Ronaldo invited us to breathe. Prayer is like breathing in this community. You know, you're worried, you pray. You're happy, you pray. Someone's sick, you pray. Something's going on in the community, you pray. Big or small, you pray. It's just what you do. Like prayer is a natural course of the way that you live life. Some of you may heard over the last couple weeks, there's something going on in central Kentucky. There's a small Christian school called Asbury, and, and something happened a couple weeks ago. Wednesday, February 8th, there was a Wednesday normal weekly chapel service that they had, and the gospel choir started, started singing the last song, and, and it, it signaled the time where everyone would leave and the, the service would end, but something happened. The service didn't end. The students and the faculty and the people were there, they just continued to pray. They continued to worship. Continue the next day, the next day after that. And all of a sudden, for days, it's been going on for almost two weeks now, and people started to hear about it. In a couple days' time, people started driving in from other parts of the city, from other states, from across the country. So they started, started showing up to Asbury and saying, God, are you doing something here? And people have been talking about, you know, whether it's on, online or social media or even in the news, is this a revival? Is this a revival? Because don't things like this just kind of run its course? You know, maybe it's just, just young college Christian kids just being really excited, and then after, you know, semester goes by or after a couple weeks go by, and then they'll get out of it. Then they'll kind of grow out of it. And when I think about that word revival, you know, is it a kind of service? Is it a kind of an experience? Is it a mo- movement, momentum? And all those things happen, but I think often uh, a revival, most simply for me, is when the extraordinary things become ordinary. When the miraculous things of God become a Wednesday morning. Because it's just part of what you do. It's part of how you show up. And what if God is inviting us into that kind of life, into that kind of community, into that kind of prayer? Whatever we do, we pray. We go to prayer. Now, here's the thing, if you've been around church for a while. That prayer... Or saying that you're going to pray is a really good things to get. Out, it's a really good way to get out of things in church. You guys know what I'm talking about? That if someone comes to you, if if you say like, "Hey, let me pray about it," it's a really good way for for kind of get off the hook of stuff. So here's what happens: if you go to someone and say, "Hey, Ronaldo, you coming to my birthday party?" and she says, "Let me pray about it," she's not coming to my birthday party. That's it's not happening. Hey, can you help out with kids' ministry? I'm praying about it. No, you're not helping. Like, you're not serving. Right? It, it's, it, we just kind of know. If someone says, let me pray about it, or if you say to someone, it's like either I'm going to hold off this decision until you forget about it, or it's a really spiritual way for me to say no. Because prayer in that sense, here's where it operates. It operates in the space of like, what do I want to do, and what do I not want to do? What am I able to do? Where do I want to do? And God, can you rubber stamp that? 
Like, that's sometimes where we put prayer. But I'm talking about a different kind of prayer. If we think about the preschool of prayer, it's a different kind of prayer. It's the prayer that you pray when you have done everything you can do and you're at, your, you're, you're at the end of it. It's when you get that phone call. It's when you get that text. And the other side of it, the person that you love, a person that you love and care deeply about, gives you the news that they have a diagnosis of cancer. I've been there recently. It's when you hear from somebody very close to you, from a family member, that there's um, some financial trouble that they've come into. And all of a sudden, everything in you is like, okay, um, do I get on a plane right now? Who do, what do I cancel? How do I rearrange everything in my life to show up for that person because I'm going to do whatever it is in my power to be able to go and help them. I'm going to do everything I can to act for them. Like, it's amazing to me, like, my friends who, you know, again, we're at that age where our parents are starting to have these kind of medical issues and, and different things and health things and, fam- like, you know, organizing kind of, like, the, the financial things of life. How, like, in a week's span, they can all become, they're, like, they're in finance, but they become, like, medical experts. They become, like, cancer, pseudo-cancer doctors within, like, a week's time because they're motivated. Like, nothing is going to stand in the way of my mom getting the best treatment. Nothing is going to stand in the way of my sister getting the help that she needs. Nothing's going to stand in the way. Oh, whoo. Nothing's going to get in the way of my kids getting what they need. And we come to the end of ourselves. We come to that place where, like, I've done everything I can do. I can't do anything else except pray. Because when we get to that place, when, when, when we go beyond our ability to act or to do or to accomplish or to succeed or to make it happen on our own, that's where God invites us to play and to meet him and to trust him. And that's the preschool of prayer. How often are we in that place together? How might God invite us to that place? Because, again, it, sometimes it's like James says, it's when you're in trouble. Sometimes it's when someone's sick. Sometimes it's when you're happy. Sometimes it's when it's the, the greatest thing in the world that you most wanted in your life has happened to you, and now you need to celebrate. Like, I don't know if you're like this, but when I, something happened, I need to celebrate with somebody. Um, 2002 World Cup was an important moment in our life. Some of y'all were not born at that time. Okay? And... And I remember distinctly, 2002, Korea was playing Spain. I was, it was like 5 in the morning on the streets of Los Angeles. I was watching the game with throngs of people. And the moment we win the game, I am just overcome with all this emotion. I need to celebrate with someone. And I looked over, and I hugged a grandma like she was my grandma. I didn't know her, she didn't know me. But we looked at each other, locked eyes, and we just embraced like we hadn't seen each other. Because we needed to do something in that moment. The joy and the celebration, the exuberance was coming out of us, and we needed, oh. What is that in your life? Will you bring that to God? where you are so overwhelmed with joy and gratitude that you bring that to God and you give God that hug because that's the preschool of prayer. We're not concerned about how we look in that moment. 
We're not concerned about like, oh, okay, am I doing it right? Am I not doing it right? What are going to people think? Or like maybe I'll do this later at home in, in the quiet mind. No, I don't care. Right now in this moment, I'm going to express my joy. Because I love being with God. I love getting to God. I love experiencing that joy with God. And the reason that we can do that is because we, we get to meet a good God. We get to meet a God who loves us so deeply. We get to meet a God who, when he sees us, his heart overwhelms with love and compassion. Uh, Matthew chapter 9 It's it's a synopsis of Jesus' ministry. And and this is what it says. Jesus went through all the towns, villages, towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looks out at the people, these throngs of people who, who don't fully understand him, who don't really know what he's about yet. And, and, and what Matthew tells us is that, that he, he is welling up with compassion for them. And that word in the original language for compassion, it's, it's like the turning of your guts. You ever experienced that? When you see something in your heart and your, and your empathy and your love and everything kind of turns inside of you and it's like it's a physical pain that you feel. My wife, for weeks, you know, I'll, I'll look over and she's on her phone sitting on the bed and just weeping. And I know exactly what's happening. She's watching video of, of um, Turkey and Syria. She's watching video of, of the rescue and the people who are being pulled out and reading stories about what's happening and, and, and the devastation of tens of thousands of people who have lost their lives. And in that moment, she's brought to tears because her heart is just is just, and her guts are turning. It's the way Jesus looks at us. It's the way Jesus looks at the world. With that kind of love, that kind of compassion, because if you only knew what brought you peace, if you only knew what could bring you true joy, if you only knew how much I loved you, and that's the way that Jesus looks at us, and that's the way he invites us to look at others. But here's the problem. I'm me, not Jesus. Which means that my my capacity for compassion is sometimes limited. Because if you love me and you love my kids, we're good. If you don't, oh, I don't know. I don't know then. I was a, a youth pastor at a church in California, and it was pretty early on. Um, there was a lot of changes to be made, so I spent some time um, changing some programs and doing some things and connecting with, with the families there. And I, and I remember there was a parent of one of the, the youth students who came up to me and said, hey, you're making a lot of changes here. I don't know if I like them. I said, well, let's talk about it. And as we talked, you could tell that he was just dead set against some of the changes we were making to the youth ministry program. And he says, you know, in my company, when an executive, executive officer does something that the board of directors do not like, the board of directors can have that person removed. And in this church, the parents are kind of like your board of directors, if you know what I'm saying. 
And I'm like, are you threatening me right now? Like, is this like a mafia shakedown? What are we doing here? And, and so we ended the conversation, and, and lo and behold, a couple days go by. I find out that this, this gentleman goes to our senior pastor and, and complains and, and, and tries to get me removed. And I go, and I remember being so angry, so incensed that this was going on. Um, and to just kind of let off some steam, I went out to, um, to go for a run. And, I, and I'm running, and I'm just so mad. And the whole time, I'm just venting. And I was like, oh, how dare he do this? How could, you know, who does he think he is? And all this stuff. And right about mile one and a half, I just get this feeling in this voice of the Lord saying, pray for him. I'm like, nope. <laughs> it's not happening. Mile two, pray for him. Uh Uh-uh. You ever been there? Mile three, pray for him. (sighs) Okay. So for the rest of my run, I I prayed. Prayed for him. Prayed for his family. Prayed for their relationship. Prayed for his relationship with his kids. Prayed for his relationship with the Lord. Prayed for my relationship with him. And, and, you know, I, I, I can't tell you that the story ends with us having this great moment of reconciliation because that's not what happened. But I don't think that's the point. Because in that moment, the invitation from God was not to tap into my capacity for compassion. It was to understand God's capacity for compassion for him that far exceeded my own. See, it's interesting because when Jesus was on the cross, this is what Luke tells us. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And this is what Jesus says. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. On the cross, Jesus prays not for himself, not for his disciples, not for the criminal on his right or the criminal on his left. He prays for the soldiers who put him up on that cross, that they might be forgiven. That's the compassion of our Lord. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Father, forgive them. They've lost their way and they don't know me. If I rest in my my level of compassion, my prayer life will be very small. My prayers will be really short. But if I tap into the compassion that God has for the world, for the God has for even those people who do me wrong, and I play in that space, oh man, the kind of riches that we might experience together the kind of community that we might be together. Imagine being a part of a community that lives like that, that does life like that. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in the 20th century, he wrote a little book called Life Together, where it's, it's basically a treatise on what Christian community can look like. And he says, A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother from whom I love, no matter how much trouble he causes me. His face, that may have been strange and intolerable to me, is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died. The face of a forgiven sinner. Here's what's interesting about James. 
James says in verse 15, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. All three of those verbs are in what's called the indicative case, meaning that it will happen. It's just a matter of fact. Now, this is where I got sometimes think God speaks through grammar. Because verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That may be healed is subjective, meaning that this is something that could happen. This is what is possible. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. See one another as Jesus sees that other person. If you do that, who knows what could happen? We don't know. We don't know what that could look like. Like, it's really like your imagination can run wild. And the impact that we can have in the world, the impact that our church and our communities and our relationships can have on the world is now wide, the possibilities are wide open because of that. And prayer invites us into that space. The preschool of prayer says, you can do whatever you want to do. My preschoolers, they think they can do anything and everything. Like, my little Sophie has irrational confidence. And I love it. I don't ever want her to lose it. What if we in our prayer life got to have irrational confidence because God can do anything in us and through us? I love James says, you know, Elijah was a human being. Elijah was a human being. He prayed and it stopped raining and he prayed and it started raining again. Elijah was a human being just like you. The imagination of what God can do through you, if you let that sink in for a second, oh my goodness, this is going to be crazy. If you um, grew up in the suburbs and went, grew up going to the mall, there was a store at the mall. It was kind of a demonic-looking store called Hot Topic. <laughs> Some of y'all were not allowed to go there, okay? And at the Hot Topic at my mall, there were, um, on the wall, the best-selling T-shirts. And they would rank the T-shirts, which ones are the best-selling. And they'd be like one through five, one through ten. And I remember um, this T-shirt was almost always up on the wall, if you've ever seen this, to write love on her arms. And it's, and it's a T-shirt from a nonprofit called To Write Love on Her Arms that was started in the mid-2000s by a guy named um, Jamie Torkowski. And it's, it's a nonprofit dedicated to helping especially young people with um, anxiety and mental health issues, suicide prevention, um, just getting people the help that they need. And it started, um, Jamie, write, Jamie wrote, wrote a post on MySpace, that's how old this is, MySpace, about his experience with him and his friends when he was in his mid-20s and a girl named Renee. So Jamie and his group of friends, they, they met Renee at a club, and she, at that time, was um, heavily addicted to alcohol and to drugs, suffered a lot of abuse in her life, and, and, and was just really in a bad place. And, and they were doing all they could to pray for Renee and try to get her to rehab, but she said she wasn't ready to go. And then he tells a story where, where that same night that they tried to get her to rehab, six hours later, they find her in a bathroom um, high with a lot of drugs in her system, and she had taken a razor blade and written on her arm, F up. And so they, they took her, 
bloody and, and a mess and high to a rehab center. But the nurse of the rehab center that said that she was just in, in a place where there's too much drugs in her system, she just was not in a place where they could admit her. They would have to wait until she detoxed for about five days. So Jamie and his friends, they decided that for the next five days, they were going to be her rehab center. And they took her in, and they, they, they housed her, and they clothed her, and they fed her, and they, they bought her things, and they took her to coffee shops and, and to, um, to basketball games and to church. And Jamie tells the story that, that the night before he was, that they were going to take her to the rehab center, they had gone to church, and some friends had come over for dinner, and, and they're hanging out. And, and these were all now new friends that she had, that Renee um, goes to her stuff and gives Jamie the razor blade that she had used to, to, um, to take drugs and to cut her arm with about a week earlier. And that's why it's called to write love on her arms because that's what they tried to do for the week that they were together. And this is what Jamie writes on his MySpace. We often ask God to show up. We pray prayers of rescue. Perhaps God would ask us to be that rescue, to be his body, to move for things that matter, he is not invisible when we come alive. I might be simple, but more and more I believe God works in love, speaks in love, is revealed in our love. I've seen that this week, and honestly, it's been simple. Take a broken girl, treat her like a famous princess, give her the best seats in the house, buy her coffee and cigarettes for the coming down, books and bathroom things for the days ahead. Tell her something true when all she's known are lies. Tell her God loves her. Tell her about forgiveness, the possibility of freedom, that she was made to dance in white dresses. All these things are true. Now, you and I know, because we're maybe a little bit older and more mature, we say, that maybe wasn't a good idea for these 20-somethings to take in and have, they have no idea what they're doing. And you're probably right, and we're probably right. It probably wasn't a good idea. And I'm not advocating that anyone should do that, but I, I just think about what happens when we are in this space of saying, God, you can use us to do anything. And we're going to operate from a place of love. And that sometimes that means it's going to be messy. Sometimes it means we're, it's going, we're going to make mistakes. We're not always going to get it right. But I want to be part of a community that lives and moves like that. I want to be in preschool forever. Amen? Can you all stand with me?